money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And with our land, we will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and for, or for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. And here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones." And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt." But let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. The word of the Lord. Well, admittedly, I'm a week late with something. Julius Caesar, I was uh, going to talk about him to start, and, and he was assassinated on March 15th, which was actually last Sunday, but it didn't fit in with last Sunday's message, so I, I thought we'd talk about Julius Caesar just a little bit uh, this morning. Uh, assassinated 
uh, back in 44 BC on March 15th. And uh, when Julius Caesar was assassinated, uh, there was chaos in, in Rome. Uh, many have read the, the Shakespeare play of, of Julius Caesar. And, and there was chaos. And, and Octavian was his adopted son and took over for Julius Caesar. And he, he built this empire. And it eventually got built up that when Caesar Augustus took over in 27 BC, uh, things were really good. Uh, in fact, it was called Pax Romana, uh, the peace of Rome. And it lasted for 200 years. There was this great peace in all of Rome, and Jesus was actually born into this at this time. There was a law, for the most part, and, and order and harmony among most of the people. Uh, there were roads, and you could safely travel from one place to the other, uh, the economy was good. In fact, they had even uh, gone on the seas and, and uh, had fought the pirates. You could even uh, go on the water safely. It was all uh, really a, a good system they had going. However, there was a price to pay. And we see that in the New Testament at times. Uh, they had to give up certain freedoms because uh, the government was basically unopposed. The disciples would run into this, and Jesus would run into this as well uh, with their worship. And they would say, you're supposed to worship only the emperor in, in Rome, and that ended up being some problems, or being a problem. Also, there was heavy taxation, and uh, we see that in the New Testament as well. And not only was there heavy taxation, but the system was set up that the tax collectors could be a little crooked, and they were quite often. And as far as, as everything, the peace of Rome, it was great until a tyrant uh, took over or until the leader turned into a tyrant. Then you would have issues. And, and it, there, was, there was that line you had to walk between, okay, how, how much do we give up and how much do we follow this guy who seems to be asking a little bit too much of us? And when we look at this passage, we can almost ask that question of Joseph. Because when you read through this, you almost start to wonder, is Joseph turning into a tyrant here? What's going on? Or is Pharaoh, maybe he's just following directions from Pharaoh. But however you look at it, Joseph seems to be taking everything from the people. And we see their desperation in the first couple of verses here, in verses 13 and 14, and you just notice the language that's there. There's no food at all. The famine is very severe. The land languished, it, said in, it says in verse 13. In verse 14, Joseph had gathered up all the money, and, and uh, you could also say he had scraped up uh, every last penny. If there's any money out there, Joseph has it now. He's scraped it all up. He's gathered it all up. But I do want us to note this, that throughout this, Joseph appears to be very honest about this. And he has been all along. He does bring the money to Pharaoh. He's not keeping any of it for himself. We see that in verses 14 and 20 and 23 and, and other places. He's been honest about this famine. He told them from the very beginning there was going to be a famine. Uh, so this is no surprise. 
And we're a few years into this famine now that will last a total of seven. So Joseph is being honest. Uh, it's just that he's taken all the money from the people because they have to buy food. And, and he has been the one that stored up the food. Well, the money is gone. So now what? And we see that in verses 15 through 17. The money's gone. The people come and they say, well, basically here it is. Either we eat or we die. Um, we'll give you livestock. We'll give you all of our livestock. You see that in verse 17, all of our livestock. And this is the first time it mentions uh, horses there. This is the first time in Scripture that we see horses. I mean, it's almost this idea that even animals we haven't mentioned yet will give it everything to you, all of our livestock, uh, if we can have food for a year. And so Joseph said, I'll take all of your livestock and give you food for a year. Well, that year ends. Now what? They have no money. Now they have no livestock. And we see in verses 18 through 22 uh, that they come to Joseph again. Our food's gone. We have nothing. And they're very honest and basically saying, here's, here's the reality, Joseph. You have our money, you have our livestock. And then they give this quite vivid description almost. They say, all we have left is our bodies and our land. And unless we get food to eat, all you're going to see are dead bodies on dead land. They're, they're quite vivid and quite honest about what's going on we got to eat or we're going to die, and that's all that's going to be left. We'll be dead, and so will the land. So in verse 19, they just say, Buy us and our land. Give us seed, and, and we will live, and the land will live by us. And every person in Egypt becomes a servant. If you notice that in verse 20 from one end of Egypt to the other, they all become servants of Pharaoh. And this is where we have to stop for a second and ask, is Joseph still the good guy? If this is a cowboy movie, can he still be wearing the white hat? Is he still the good one? He's taken everything that these people have, including their freedom now. And we've come to like Joseph. And he is a good guy, but he's, he's taken it all. And these people have become serfs, basically, or, or, or servants. Pharaoh now controls their lives, and he will set all the conditions. They've sold themselves into slavery. And it sounds really harsh to us. You know, this, everybody knows that uh, right now we're in the midst of this election year, and, and every time we have an election, the, the question that we hear candidates talking, the question is, how much are we going to give, and, and whom are we going to give uh, help to, and, and what's expected in return, if, if anything? You know, how much are we going to give to whom, and, and what should we get back from them? And, and in all of this, I've never heard a candidate, or a successful candidate anyhow, come up and say, look, here's what I want from you. Every penny you have, uh, everything you own, I want your land, I want you to sell uh, yourself in service to me, and I'll give you seed so you can plant a garden. And nothing else. 
that candidate's just not going to be very successful. This sounds really harsh to us. He's giving them seed for everything they've owned and, and nothing else. However, we do have to remember some things about ancient times. Uh, first of all, and, and this would last for thousands of years, there was this expectation that you paid your way as long as you had something to give. And that meant even your freedom. And that would happen quite often in ancient times. Uh, people would sell off everything they have. They would sell off family members into slavery and eventually themselves. As long as you had something to give, you would sell that to pay your own way. And the other part of this is Joseph is basically just pointing out what's already been the case. Pharaoh really owned everything anyhow. In theory, Pharaoh actually ran their lives, and he actually could have called in anything he wanted. Joseph just pushed it far enough and made it a fact. What was the theory has now become fact. Pharaoh pretty much is in charge of everything. But now it's official. And, and Joseph, uh, he, he states the terms in verses 23 through 26. He said, all right, uh, I will buy you, I will buy your land uh, for seed. And one-fifth of the harvest goes to Pharaoh, which is actually pretty generous. Uh, in ancient times, uh, the standard was one-third. Uh, so Joseph is actually, uh, he's not a tyrant. He's being good here, and he's actually uh, lowered that a little bit. One-fifth of the seed will go to Pharaoh. Now this stands for a long, long time. In fact, as Moses writes, Genesis, some uh, you know, hundreds of years later, uh, we see in, in verse 26, it still stands. This is still the case. And while we might see Joseph and think, wow, he really took a lot from these people, uh, they have quite a different outlook on this. In verse 25, you've saved our lives. Joseph had the food, and, and they realize we had nothing else to give. You've saved our lives. Um, they understand what Joseph has done. And so uh, we see what's happening in Egypt and, and their struggle and how they've now sold themselves, all of them, uh, in, into servitude of, of Pharaoh. So while that's going on in the rest of Egypt, what's happening in Goshen? What's going on with Jacob and, and his sons? Well, we see that starting in verse 27. And look what happens uh, there. Uh, they are gaining possessions. They are fruitful and they're multiplying greatly. Things are quite a bit different uh, for Jacob and, and his family. For the nation, which is small at this point, but the nation of Israel, if you want to put it that way. And one of the things that we note in here, and I want us just to see uh, real quickly as we pass by, is that God can prosper his people even in the worst of circumstances. And we have some kind of bad circumstances right now. And God doesn't necessarily uh, prosper his people financially, 
Uh, but in, in many other ways, they're, they're multiplying. They're becoming a, a bigger nation. And there is a bit of a, of a contrast here financially in this passage, but that's because uh, Moses, uh, as he writes this, uh, wants us to notice the contrast between Egypt and, and God's people here. God can and does work outside and above all circumstances uh, for his, his people. But I don't want us to get some kind of uh, you know, health and wealth type message in this. As though uh, I'm just going to prosper all the time. And we see that with Jacob. Because Jacob is planning for his death, actually. When we look at this, he's, he's telling Joseph, here's what I want you to do when I die, which is going to come pretty quickly, actually, as we uh, continue on with Genesis. Uh, he, he's planning for his death, and we see in verse uh, 28, and this is just a, a neat note, that he's been there for 17 years now. And we've mentioned how God is working things this whole time, and, and it's just a, a neat note that for the first 17 years of Joseph's life, Jacob had provided for him. Now the last 17 years of Jacob's life, Joseph has been providing for him. Just this uh, neat contrast and how God is working through all of this. But as Joseph, or as Jacob prepares to die, he brings in Joseph and he said, do this for me. Make sure that when I die, you take me out of here and bury me in the promised land. Take me back to Canaan and bury me there. And this, by the way, is when things are going well in, in Egypt. They've got possessions there as opposed to everyone else and, and they're prospering. Things are going well, but yet Jacob says, I don't want to be here. I want to go back where God told me I was going to go back. God had made that promise to Jacob, I will bring you back. And it had a double meaning. He was going to bring Jacob back to be buried there, and he would eventually bring the nation of Israel back. And Jacob, uh, at the end of his life, he could have easily been tempted to stay right there in Egypt in the land of profit, but he said, no, I want to go to the land of promise. Things are going well here, but this is not the promise. I want to go where God has promised I would be. And when we look at this contrast between Egypt and God's chosen people, and, and we see Egypt selling themselves into slavery, we're reminded of how the New Testament uses that idea of of slavery, what Jesus says about it, and, and Paul and, and the other New Testament uh, writers, uh, Jesus in John chapter uh, 8, verse 34, told his disciples, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Once you've committed a sin, you've now sold out to sin, and sin controls your life. Paul picks up on this idea quite often, actually, and one of the big places is Romans chapter 6, 
And, and he asks a question. He said, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And he talks about living for Christ and, and what Christ has done uh, to set us free from our sin. And, and Paul will continue on in Romans 6, and he said, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then that famous verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what we see with Jesus and, and Paul and, and other New Testament writers is that we serve one of two things, one of two people. Either we serve sin or we serve God. And the world doesn't really like that idea of, of that's it, I only have this choice, serving sin or, or serving God. And, and this comes up quite often. But they point us to the fact that, as Joseph made clear, that we can't live under this false pretense that we're not serving one of the two. Just as Joseph kind of pushed it to its end. Okay, I'll buy this, I'll buy that, I'll buy your freedom, I'll, I'll take everything. And he kind of just pointed out what was already the case. Either you're serving one or you're serving the other. And Egypt, uh, as we saw, was struggling to pay, or to figure out a way to pay for life. And when we see what the New Testament says we see that sin is a terrible uh, taskmaster. It'll make great promises to us, but in the end, it will take everything from us. And it will leave you with death and eternal torment. In those promises, we could be tempted, uh, as Jacob was tempted to say, you know what, things aren't that bad, though. I'll just stay right here. I don't really need those promises because I don't want to serve that. I'll just stay where I am here. But like Jacob, we have to think, but wait a minute. God has made me promises. Sin will leave you nothing but death and torment. But God says, serve me, and I'll set you free from sin. And I'll give you life. Because like Egypt was trying to struggle and figure out a way to pay so that they could live, there's a price on life that we can't pay. But Christ could pay. And Christ did pay by going to the cross and dying for our sin, that we don't have to live under that sin anymore. I mentioned Jesus in John 8 
And after he said, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin, a little bit later on would say, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's why Paul would pick up on that idea and say, either I am a slave to sin, or I will make myself a slave to God. Because slavery to God is freedom from sin. Sin that could only lead to death. But I will go with Christ where I have eternal life in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us the option of life. That you come to us and say, I have bought your life. Come to me. Come to Christ. Confess on our sins to Christ, living our lives for our King and our Master, that he may redeem our lives and give us eternal life with him. We thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do hope that everyone will stay safe. Uh, once again, use this as a time of worship. Pray together and encourage each other in this time of isolation. Be safe. May God be with you. Good, all right. Oh, really? There are people that are not normally here on Sunday morning. I can see it. I can see from heat like it shows you the watch party, the names start scrolling. Oh, really? Oh, wow, that is, yeah.